The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Excuse me, miss. We'd like to buy one opera, please. Uh, what he means is, I would like to give two million dollars to the Sydney Opera. Miss Al-Jamil, this is so generous. With a donation of that size, we will dedicate a rehearsal hall in your honour. Thank you, but no. Lovely as it sounds to add to my collection of wings and atria, the gift will be anonymous. As you wish. I'll draw up the papers. Why don't you want your name on the Opera House? I love getting my name on stuff. In Jacksonville, I got a flu virus named after me because I kissed a bat on a dare. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, April 22nd, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. <laughs> wow, yet another flu variant thanks to a kisser of bats. <laughs> well, today we're going to take a tour through the propaganda minefield, otherwise known as the mainstream media. And the propaganda is all about a quote-unquote vaccine that is not even a vaccine and about a pandemic that never was and still isn't. All that right after we remind you that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. I have to tell you the increase in fear that I have seen in the eyes of many over the past couple of weeks in my community and even just in the local neighborhood where I live is palpable. And it may seem strange that even despite what I do on this show each week, or maybe because of it, I'm really disconnected from the world out there because I am not exposed to mainstream media in any regular way except when I prepare for this show. In my own personal close-knit world of family and friends, COVID has been a basic non-issue other than you know, how it is in the news, nor have we complied with any of Ontario Premier Doug Ford's consistent lockdown measures, which again consistently demonstrate their uselessness in an unwinnable objective. And he's at it again. So what I've done for our show today is selected a broad sampling of our own local daily newspaper here in London, Ontario, the London Free Press, which is a subsidiary of the National Post, once a respectable media outlet, and today part of the problem. This paper is a perfect exhibit of the same propaganda we can hear, see, and read about in state and official media outlets all around the world. So these are not in any particular order. I've just mixed them as I found them over about a two or three week period. I just, I don't even clip newspapers anymore. They're just wall to wall about coronavirus and COVID and that's it. Occasional weather forecast, a few sports events, and some entertainment events. That's all you get. <laughs> it's terrible. But here's just an example of what people are being exposed to and why they're walking around in such fear. Here's a headline that appeared in the March 31st National Post slash London Free Press. And the headline says, Take first vaccine offered, PM urges. 
COVID-19, the science is evolving, Trudeau says. <laughs> i got to tell you, the headline says it all. No further comment needed. Would you take the first vaccine that comes along and right after they tell you the science is evolving, we haven't figured it out yet, just grab the first one? The carelessness of the very idea of how this is being done smacks to me of, of criminality. I'm sorry. Headline, the AstraZeneca conundrum. Risk of blood clots from vaccines small but real. But is it better to risk catching COVID? March 31st National Post by Sharon Kirkey. Quote, the 49-year-old perfectly healthy nurse receives her first dose of the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine in mid-February. Eleven days later, she was dead. A victim of a rare blood clotting disorder that has regrettably popularized a new pandemic acronym, VIPIT, one that threatens to rattle confidence in vaccines. The only ultimate path out of COVID-19. <laughs> the VIPIT, yeah. End quote. Well, how can anyone possibly write this, given the common knowledge that these so-called vaccines do not even protect against COVID? That's a fact. Vaccines are the guarantee that the nightmare will become permanent because these not-vaccines, along with their not-vaccine passports, have been the main goal behind all of this since the beginning. But the main bullstream writers carry on as if this is not the case. Just carry on. Yep. Here's a letter to the editor, April 9th. Title reads, Leading by Example. Quote, Regarding the article, First Nations See Vaccine Success Uptake High, April 3rd. Kudos to Canada's indigenous leaders and peoples for dealing effectively and expeditiously with COVID-19 from the outset. Their efforts saved many lives, assured the well-being of their communities, and set an example for Canadians to follow. End quote by Andrew N. in Arnprior. Well, that's just another altruistic argument. It's completely divorced from reality and the facts. And Andrew, I wonder how you'll feel about that after hearing what has already been happening to some of Canada's Indigenous people as a consequence of their vaccines, as we'll hear later in the show. Anti-maskers only think of themselves, reads the, the heading of a letter to the editor dated April 10th. Quote, on March 31st, I was in the local public library when one of the anti-mask protesters came in. After being confronted by library staff, the man left peacefully. People like this are the reason we're in a third lockdown. Whether it is university students, a church group in Aylmer, or anti-mask protesters, they are only thinking of themselves. The man kept saying that he believes in a higher power, so do I. I trust the Lord. However, I'm not stupid enough to jump out in front of a train. Also, while you may have the legal right not to wear a mask, you do not have the right to put others at risk. We wear masks to protect others. End quote by Scott B. of Ingersoll. Well, <laughs> if Scott is wearing a mask to protect others, then he's sick. Okay, He's admitting to being sick and he's sick. Just wearing a mask will do that, because if you wear a mask, you are getting sick. And consider how his altruism is directed. People like this, university students, church groups in Aylmer, anti-mask protesters, only thinking of themselves. Oh yeah, okay, well where's the BLM protesters and the other rioters who riot for communism and fascism? You know why he's not worried about them? Because they think about others. But who's going to protect the knowledgeable and the moral from the ignorant, misinformed, and altruistic who are eager to sacrifice everyone and anyone to anything? 
One thing altruists never do is think of others. It never occurs to people like Scott that there are people genuinely not able to wear masks because masks are harmful. It's also their right. And Scott's respect for the freedom and rights of others is despicable. But he's one of many, apparently a sizable majority. Vaccine rollout unacceptable, reads the April 14th letter to the editor by Jasmine T. of Windsor. Quote, how can the province say that closing schools is a priority and allow big box stores to stay open? Some of us are trying to run small businesses and keep our heads above water with bills. Others can't afford to take time off work. Get off your soapboxes and get everyone vaccinated. <laughs> End quote. You know, I was with him for the first two sentences. Then he says, get vaccinated. And it just hits me, you know, poor Jesmond. He actually has swallowed the Kool-Aid flavor that says getting a vaccine will change conditions for businesses. Nowhere, anywhere, except by false implication, is anyone literally saying anything like that. Follow the rules or stay out of hospitals, reads the headline of a letter to the editor by John L. of London. Quote, Why are we in another stay-at-home lockdown? It may be because of anti-maskers, party-goers, or those who just don't care about saving lives. Wait a minute, didn't we just read that one? No, that was somebody else. Did they read each other's letters? They're, they're copying. That's what it is. <laughs> Should any of you get sick, do not go to the hospital. Hospitals are overrun with those who are really sick with COVID-19 and passing away on a daily basis, end quote. Holy cow, how stupid can you get? None of that's going on. John's ignorance about the reality of the situation is only exceeded by his altruistic virtue signaling. My feelings about saving lives will not cause any lockdowns. And party goers of all ridiculous causes to cite have nothing to do, whatever, with the spread of any virus. Here, here's an interesting one. This is an actual article, headline, Sobering COVID Double Whammy. And it's on the front page of the London Free Press on April 15th. And the subhead reads, Area sees record 176 new infections. First Brazilian variant case same day. And with another subhead saying variant cases now dominate in area. Quote, the London Area Health Unit reported its highest single-day spike in COVID-19 cases Wednesday, as officials also reported the first local case of the ultra-contagious Brazilian variant. And then, of course, the article goes on, cases, 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 BS, BS, cases. And then it says, Variant cases now dominate in London and Middlesex County, crowding out the wild-type coronavirus that fueled the pandemic's first and second waves. And, quote, hello, there was no wild-type coronavirus that, that, that fueled the first and second waves. Wild type? Is that what it was now? Have they changed the whole history of that? And there are no variant cases now dominating anything except for the stats and the BS that you guys report. Nobody's dying from these things. These variants are weaker than the original. Unbelievable what they're getting away with printing here. Approved vaccines, our best chance to return to normal, reads the headline, of an editorial written by Josh Aldrich on April 15, quote, We need to pump the brakes on fear over vaccines. They're our best chance at getting back to some form of normalcy. The U.S. on Tuesday announced they were putting a pause on the Johnson & Johnson single-shot vaccine because there were six people who suffered a blood clot a week or more after receiving the dose. Of those six, one died. This is on 6.8 million doses, or one in 1.25 million. The vaccine is not proven to cause a blood clot. 
What we cannot afford right now is to let the fear of vaccination scare off more people from getting their shot when it's their turn. We need far more representation of the context when an issue arises within the vaccine program as opposed to going full blast on ultra-rare side effects. I'll put it this way. If you don't want your vaccination, I'll gladly take your freedom juice. End quote. Wow. This is pure propaganda based on no fact whatsoever. In fact, the facts are the opposite, as we'll hear. This is one of those implied promises that, you know, we'll get, quote, back to some form of normalcy, end quote, which does not promise any end to lockdowns, which we've been told are the new normal. And those ultra-rare side effects are ultra-common and plentiful, not rare at all. In fact, the percentages are frightening. Aldrich's comments not only lack context, they lack any legitimate facts. This article is pure, unadulterated BS. Anyways, that's just our first sampling. More to come. But all of these commentaries and articles are representative of the current terrorist campaign underway in Canada and around the world. And that's the world in which so many people live. A world utterly disconnected from reality. And if that's all they're hearing, they too are disconnected. But I live in a different world. And the comments you are about to hear from Alberta Dr. Roger Hodkinson in a public statement as heard on Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson's April 13th show reflect the world in which I live and describe an analysis of the COVID pandemic exactly as we have been describing it since day one. Dr. Hodkinson, you know we've had him on the show before and I went to his home and interviewed him there. Uh, Let's take a couple minutes and look at that. My name is Dr. Dr. Roger Hodkinson and my presentation to you today is about the most grave injustice our society has ever experienced. I'm here because this is a defining moment in my medical career, and indeed my entire life. It's the fight of a generation. I'm a medical specialist in pathology and graduate of Cambridge University, UK. I've had many leadership roles in medicine, both provincially and nationally, including those as a university teacher, board examiner, and laboratory accreditation inspector. I was previously the president of the Alberta Society of Laboratory Physicians, otherwise known as pathologists, and have been an assistant professor in the Faculty of Medicine at the U of A. I've spent my entire career in evidence-based medicine. I believe the most important duty of anyone involved in public health is to protect the public from health risks that they cannot effectively manage themselves. In my opinion, during the COVID pandemic, There has been a gross intrusion of government into health matters that could have been perfectly well managed by individual adults, as was the case with all recent pandemics. In essence, public health is the practice of medicine at a societal level, and it should follow standard medical ethics where every act is performed for good reason. And in medicine, the primary ethic is the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. But that concept appears to have been totally ignored, as the harmful consequences are, by any measure, grotesquely disproportional to any of the purported benefits. The cure is far worse than the disease. However, all the measures being currently undertaken, including masks, social distancing, and closures of all kinds, have no consensus for effectiveness in the medical literature. And in fact, the weight of evidence is against these measures. 
Massah, you might say, the very face of this issue, very visible evidence of compliance. The various mandates can only be perceived as arbitrary, knee-jerk reactions for politicians to convince the general public that they are doing something. But politics playing medicine is a very dangerous game. Politicians must get their heads around the fact that in 2021, medicine is impotent at controlling the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic in the general population. The genie is out of the bottle. It's everywhere. Let me state emphatically again, nothing works to control the spread of this virus. In my opinion, the approach to this pandemic in Alberta was wrong-headed from its very inception. As the Great Barrington Declaration eloquently argues, there should have been no change in public policy compared to previous pandemics. Life should not have changed one iota, except for enhanced protection of the vulnerable. Dr. Bhattacharya, an internationally esteemed epidemiologist from Stanford, has said that lockdowns are, quote, the biggest mistake ever made in public health, close quotes. Trying to protect the working well with very low risk of death by shutting down the economy is obviously ridiculously naive. In my view, the fear and hysteria over COVID is being maintained by two principal drivers. The first driver is brutal international silencing of all counter-opinions, whether from politicians, journalists, or physicians. And the second driver is asymptomatic testing, which is not only useless because of countless false positives, but counterproductive because it drives ongoing public hysteria. Public hysteria, in turn, is being used by politicians to double down on mandates known to be ineffective. I attribute the ongoing panic over COVID to a litany of failures. First of all, and most importantly, failure of due diligence from the very get-go on the absurd computer modeling by Dr. Neil Ferguson at Imperial College London in the UK, as it became the predicate for similarly exaggerated responses. Failure to inform the public that there was no consensus in the medical literature for any of the draconian restrictions so arbitrarily introduced. Failure to report to the general public the cumulative adverse consequences of the interventions on general health care dying relatives, funerals, weddings, church services, school closures, graduations, and thousands of small business bankruptcies. On the way here today, I drove past Grace Life Church. The double steel cordon is still around that church. Failure to halt the testing of asymptomatic people. It should stop immediately. It has no purpose. Failure to produce detailed statistical reporting to inform the working well in lay terms about the actual degree of risk from COVID and that variants, as Dr. Modri indicated, are nothing to fear. Failure to classify deaths appropriately. The vulnerable population with many comorbidities who happen to be COVID positive at the time of their death are being classified as deaths directly due to COVID. That is statistical sleight of hand. Dying with COVID is not the same as dying of COVID. 
Failure to promote the life-saving potential of vitamin D, which is totally safe, cheap, and has overwhelming evidence of protection from COVID-19. What used to be called the season of coughs and colds is now being recognized as the season of vitamin D deficiency. In a month or so, the sun will come up again, and we will all start making vitamin D in our skin. And guess what? The pandemic will disappear again. And they'll say, see, we wrestled it to the ground. To which I say, no such thing. It's the classic fallacy trap. Just because B follows A does not mean that A cause B. Wake up. Failure to communicate to the general public the inadequacies of PCR testing. There are no published statistics in Alberta regarding the percentage of false positive results by PCR-based methods. False positives have a huge multiplier effect on contact tracing, resulting many times that number of people being taken out of the workforce too. The internationally renowned epidemiologists who authored the Great Barrington Declaration have stated categorically that contact tracing is both useless and counterproductive. Failure to inform the public that the vaccines are all strictly experimental, lacking the customary two to four years adverse event trials, and therefore, in my view, by any definition, unsafe. That is a failure, a spectacular failure, of the second important medical ethic, that of informed consent. There was no need for a rushed vaccine given the scale of risk. And in my opinion, its use is profoundly reckless. Indeed, there are concerns about its safety now for women under 50 and pregnant women already surfacing, which proves the point in spades. The vaccine situation has the potential, of course, of getting infinitely worse if so-called vaccine passports come to play. Yes, they'll say, you can refuse the vaccine if you want, if you think it's unsafe. But you know what? You won't be allowed to travel. How outrageous! And finally, a failure to balance loss of freedoms against the scale of threat. The art of government is in large part about balance. In my opinion, with COVID-19, the Alberta government got the balance badly wrong. It prioritized the containment of COVID over all else. The government's entire focus has been on one virus, ignoring all other measures of health and well-being. Furthermore, the profound loss of personal freedom resulting from the various mandates are an unforgivable assault on the very essence of our humanity and totally unwarranted given the scale of threat. This is not Ebola. This is not SARS. In fact, Sweden and Florida clearly demonstrate that draconian actions have little impact on the final toll from COVID. However, even to debate these questions is now stigmatized by government, the media, and professional colleges as irresponsible and to be resolutely suppressed. The entire population has been intimidated into compliance with the threat of outrageous fines and actual jail for disobedience. The government's encouragement of citizens to snitch on each other is utterly reprehensible. So in summary, these numerous failures of the government of Alberta in the COVID pandemic have directly caused the most monstrous loss of freedoms, unwarranted fear, and horrendous personal consequences ever recorded in our province, and all without any justifiable cause. It must end now and never be allowed to happen again. 
So I repeat for effect, nothing works to stop the spread of this virus through society. Nothing could work, nothing did work, and nothing will work. This virus must just be allowed to run its course. Government must simply accommodate to medicine's impotence and allow the public to use its abundant common sense. And that's just a taste of the world of reality in which I live when it comes to COVID. But here's more from the propaganda front. And, and, and let's bear in mind here, this comes from the people who are being propagandized too. They start reflecting their own brainwashing back to each other. Like this one, healthcare needs to be nationalized, writes Christine M. of London on April 14th in a letter to the editor, quote, With record cases of COVID in Ontario, our doctors who are now prioritizing patient care are calling for assistance for other provinces to share their intensive care staff. Unfortunately, every province is stretched to the limit. There's no surplus of qualified ICU nurses in Canada. Even with vaccines, the worst is yet to come. Some provinces have shown their inability to manage health care. It's time for a national health care program. <laughs> the only things we have in excess are patients and idle politicians, end quote. Well, very cleverly worded, Christine, but totally wrong. The irony in Christine's assessment is that the province's inability to manage health care is precisely because of national federal intervention. It's not in their jurisdiction, in the federal government's jurisdiction, to deal with health care. State-run health care is the ultimate source of all of these COVID lockdowns because our health care system has been collapsing since its inception. And that's the same case in every other country that's gone through this. All of them want to save their health care systems. To hell with the health care system. If I can't use it, it's not there. I can't believe that's an argument. Let it be overcrowded. At least then we'll see what the issue is. And we can actually fix that. But closing the hospitals and not letting us see what's going on, that will never fix anything. Ford shouldn't have waited to declare stay-at-home order, writes Mohammed Adam in the London Free Press editorial of April 9th. And he's an Ottawa journalist and commentator. Quote, it's sometimes difficult to understand why governments have to be dragged, kicking and screaming, into doing the right thing even when the evidence is clear. With COVID-19 surging, it's not, rising fears about the more contagious and deadly new variants and ICU capacity at the breaking point, things looked pretty bleak for Ontario. Then he gets into case counts, blah, 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 whole page of case counts. Cases are meaningless. But he continues, quote, we know proper shutdowns work. Other countries have shown that. No, they haven't. I can't believe I could write, that, write this stuff. Ontario's first shutdown helped bend the curve. <laughs> okay. The Boxing Day shutdown did its job well enough, but we've never done it in a sustained way. Ah, here we go. Some say people are so tired they won't accept more shutdowns, but they will. With more people getting vaccinated and building up immunity, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We can brave it for a few more weeks. We have it in our hands now to help beat COVID-19. Let's make this last stand. <laughs> a last stand that he doesn't have a, an inkling of what he's talking about. And of course, that's end quote for him. But again, this is another one of those misleading statements suggesting that there's light at the end of the tunnel, that all these shutdowns will get back to normal after you'll all get your vaccines. That's not what he said. He just said there's light at the end of the tunnel. He doesn't even know what tunnel he's looking down. Letter to the editor, London Free Press, April 8th. Safety, not first, reads the headline. 
Quote, I spent a beautiful Sunday afternoon at Kiwanis Park in London, but my kids and I were the only ones with masks on. I was exhausted, seeing how no one had masks on their children. I counted at least 25 children playing amongst each other, plus a handful of adults not having a care in the world and not being cautious. If no one's taking this seriously, this is what we will have to deal with for a much longer time. Parks are a great place to let children be free and enjoy the weather, but not when others are being selfish by Margaret Zed in London. There's the old selfish card again, eh? Coming from an altruist who's being totally selfish. All she cares about is herself. Let's face it. So immature. Shame on you, Margaret. Not only for judging others who clearly know better than you, but for putting masks on your own children, which, by the way, in my not-so-humble estimation, is nothing short of child abuse. And if you are exhausted by seeing the selfishness of others, then maybe you should consider that your exhaustion could be caused by your wearing a mask. You know, like an obedient and submissive animal, and by being so consumed with your own misdirected selfishness. Unbelievable. I just keep hearing it over and over again. And when you call them on it, they're not being altruistic. They're being completely selfish because they're terrified. They're living in fear. And fear is not altruistic, even though they try to express themselves that way. Another headline. Stay at home again, Ontario. Four-week order. Hotspot vaccine vow come as COVID cases and criticism grow. Measures needed to protect health care, Ford says. Written by Sean Jeffords, April 8th, from the Canadian Press in the, in the London Free Press. And I quote, Ford stressed the new measures are necessary to protect the province's health care system. The reality is, despite everything we've done so far, the COVID-19 situation in Ontario is getting worse as these new variants continue to spread and hospitals are reaching capacity, he said, end quote. Well, that's a complete expression of Ford's utter ignorance about, about anything. <laughs> Mackey calls stay-at-home order right move in face of variants, April 8th headline in the Free Press. Quote, London's top doctor said the province's sweeping stay-at-home order is the right call and will lead to a reduction in cases if people follow the rules. End quote. See, it's all about following the rules. Why will it lead to a reduction of cases? I don't care about cases. Wasn't the original idea we want as many cases out there as possible? Because cases are asymptomatic. It means you're healthy. It means you are immune. If you've got this virus in you and you're fine, then you're fine. That's what we want. Where did this whole new philosophy of how viruses work suddenly come out of the blue? And they're all wrong. <laughs> Get this. Headline, no magic time point for second shot. Panel reassures Canadians on delay strategy by Sharon Kirkey, National Post, April 8th. Quote, Canada's vaccination advisors aren't walking back a controversial first-dose-first first COVID vaccine strategy of spacing shots up to four months apart, arguing it's critical to get at least one dose into more bodies as quickly as possible, end quote. I want to know why. No answer or even any attempt at one. There is no need for this vaccine. None. Zero. There's no need for it. You get this flu, get some hydroxychloroquine, take vitamin D and all the rest of it, and you're okay. Shut down Ontario, advisor says. Strictest color-coded limit can't contain COVID-19 variants, science table member. 
And that's from the Canadian Press, March 26, on the front page. Quote, currently, even the strictest level of the province's pandemic framework isn't enough to reduce rising infections from more contagious variants, said Dr. Peter Juni of the Ontario COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. This pandemic has never been under control since it started to take hold in Ontario, and that's the challenge, Juni said in an interview. We need stronger, more strict public health measures to keep the new variants contained enough to avoid tremendous challenges for the health care system. They don't care about us. Challenges for the system. Well, let them be challenged, for heaven's sake. I want to see that system challenged. It means somebody's getting some care. Provincial officials have said variants of concern now make up to 50% of the province's daily cases of COVID-19. End quote. Now think about that. By the way, COVID-19 hasn't existed for a year. This one from one of the most disgusting writers on the whole COVID thing. And her name is Jane Sims. Oh, man. March 26th. Headline, we can't afford complacency as lockdown looms. COVID cases increase as health unit struggles to ramp up vaccinations. Quote, after seeing the local surge in COVID-19 cases on Thursday, I was going to start this column by asking whether all that green beer drinking a week ago was really worth it. But it wasn't hops or food coloring on St. Patrick's Day that was behind the sudden jump of 43 new cases in Middlesex, London. No, it was just the fact that it took 43 t- three tests. It was plain old-fashioned face-to-face contacts made indoors and without masks, behavior that the health unit has been preaching against for a year. Oh, my God. You know, I have to stop. You know, speaking of faces, I've never seen a more sour, pussed, angry, and miserable face than that of Jane Sims in the photos that accompany her editorials. Talk about a miserable and hateful look. I don't know what morgue they dug her out of or why they print that picture with her editorials, but it suits the commentaries, I'll tell you that. And I continue, quote, The sense of urgency I expected after the big jump was missing at the regular health unit news briefing Thursday. That's because they know it's all BS. The same day the province reported 2,380 new cases, the highest daily case count we've seen in Ontario in weeks. It wasn't just Thursday's numbers that were eye-popping. We've had 231 new cases over the last seven days. And Medical Officer of Health Chris Mackey said, Don't forget about 15 new variant cases here, which raised a total of 69. Deaths remain low, with one in March proving that by vaccinating long-term and retirement home residents and our oldest neighbors, the inoculation campaign is working. But there are still big issues with getting needles in enough arms, end quote. That's the whole game plan right there. Here again from Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson on April 13th, this time speaking to BC Dr. Charles Hoff about his recent experiences with the pretended vaccines in his practice. Let me tell you that Dr. Charles Hoff is in the paper, basically, uh, he's, he's, in, he's on the hot seat because he has dared to write an open letter to Dr. Bonnie Henry. And that's because there are things that are going on up in his community in Lytton, BC, if I'm not uh, mistaken. We really are grateful, uh, Dr. Hoff. Thank you very much uh, for being here. We understand now that you have written a letter. One of the things you start out your letter to dear Dr. Henry, which is Dr. Bonnie Henry, the first dose of the Moderna vaccine has now been administered to some of my patients in the community of Lytton, BC. This began with the First Nations members of our community in mid-January 2021. 
900 doses have now been administered. Will you tell me, uh, Dr. Hoff, what has transpired and what brought you to such concern that you felt you needed to write an open letter to Dr. Bonnie Henry? About a month ago, when all the news about the blood clots from the AstraZeneca virus and that sort of thing were coming into the news and there were 12 countries in Europe that had discontinued it, you know, I knew that this vaccine rollout was happening without any long-term safety data. And the, the number of cases of anaphylaxis showed us that the, the risks of it that were quoted by the pharmaceutical companies in proving their safety were, were definitely a vast understatement. Moderna quoted one in 100,000. We've had two in Lytton in the first 900 people vaccinated. We can see clearly that they fudged their numbers to prove the safety of their vaccines. I, I sent an email to a group of the people involved in the, the vaccine rollout here, and these were pharmacists, nurses, doctors, just in our, in our area. And I just said, you know, with, with all these side effects appearing, shouldn't we perhaps just pause things for a while? Anyway, within 48 hours, I had a very stern rebuke from my superiors at the Interior Health Authority who told me that I was guilty of causing vaccine hesitancy and they were going to be reporting me to the College of Physicians and Surgeons of BC and that I was forbidden from saying anything negative about the vaccine within our health facility. So I had been given a gag order, but as the week went on, and I saw more and more people coming into my office with serious neurological problems. And this was just the first shot of the vaccine. And we know that the second one gives much worse side effects. I became more and more angry about my gag order. I was told when I was in my reprimand that if I had any questions about the vaccine, that they needed to be addressed to the, the medical health officer responsible for the vaccine rollout for our area. And that's who I needed to be speaking to. So I wrote a letter with all my questions and concerns. And of course, my questions have no answers because this is an experiment and we don't know what the answers are and to date have received no reply. After receiving no response from her, I thought, well, then I'm going to write to Dr. Bonnie Henry, who's our provincial health officer. So I thought, because I didn't expect a re response from her either, that I would make it an open letter and that I was so angry about being shut down, basically being gagged and, and threatened with, with punishment for speaking out about what I was seeing in my own patients, that I sent it as an open letter. And that's, I imagine, what you have. So to my absolute astonishment, Dr. Bonnie Henry did respond. She had referred the matter to a vaccine safety specialist who asked to have a meeting with me. So what I'm telling people about is not some theory. This is what I've seen in my own patients. I've been a doctor to these patients for 28 years, and now three of them are disabled by this first vaccine. And it, it upsets me very much because these people did not know that they were part of an experiment. When you say that you've been a doctor to these patients for a long time, you know them and also you've seen that one person has actually died and I believe it was quite a few days after the vaccination, right? That's correct. So, so in, in that person's case, there's no way of proving that what they died from. This was a person who had COPD and was on one medication, which was a ventilant puffer. This person just complained to his wife that ever since he had the shot, he was short of breath all the time. 
And then eventually, three weeks after the shot, or in fact, it was 24 days to be precise, he was literally sitting on the side of the bed talking to his wife and just keeled over dead. So I don't know what he died from. An autopsy wasn't done. He had no history of heart disease or of strokes or anything else. So that is an unknown. We, we, I, I just don't know if it was the vaccine. So your concern then also is that you're seeing some harms that are coming to other patients. What are the types of things you've seen? Well, I think perhaps the, the most tragic of all of them is a, a, a very dear 38-year-old lady in our community who had her first shot of the COVID vaccine. And she was one of the people who had an anaphylactic reaction. So within 15 minutes, her, her tongue and her throat swelled up and she felt like she couldn't breathe properly and she developed itchy skin and uh, so she was treated for her anaphylaxis and once she'd recovered she went home and uh, the the next day found that she was literally so exhausted that for the next three weeks she tells me that she literally slept till five o'clock in the evening every day for three weeks with a pounding headache then she started to improve a little bit after that, and then one week after her shot, she developed a Bell's palsy, which is a paralysis of half of your face. So she couldn't close her left eye. She, her speech was slurred because it affects your tongue as well. And it's hard to eat because you drool out of the side of your mouth. But what was most unusual is that Bell's palsy is not usually painful, but she had pain on the side of her face where this palsy was. So that is something different that I do, I've never, ever heard of a painful Bell's palsy. She also, at the time that she got the Bell's palsy, just became severely dizzy. And since, uh, and so she's now almost three months since her vaccine and still cannot drive. She is so dizzy all the time with incessant headaches. The headaches aren't all the time. They're, they're every day. But the main thing that disables her is the dizziness. And so her Bell's palsy improved to a point that she can actually now close both eyes. But when she blinks, you know, only one eye sort of one eye doesn't blink properly. So she has been off work since since her shot in January, middle of January. So I, another lady who is quite a lot older, she's 81 years old. I mean, she told me last week that she does not want to live anymore. She has so much pain since having that vaccine. And so her pain is in her shoulders and her head and her neck. And she just has incessant pain to the point that she just doesn't want to live anymore. Not only does she have this pain, but she has weakness in both arms. So this is not a stroke because a stroke doesn't give you equal weakness on both sides. I don't know what this is. Uh, every one of my patients with neurological deficits is different, but they're all neurological problems from the Moderna vaccine. So she told me that, that, that not only does she not want to live because of her pain, incessant pain, but her hands are so weak that she can't even open a box of Kleenex tissues. And so she is just miserable and, and wished that she had never had the shot. The third one who also has a what looks like it will be a long-term disability and we, whose only side effect is in the arm where he received the vaccination. So he just has incessant pain in that arm and weakness. So, so a very weak hand grip on that side. 
So his is not a pain on both sides of his body. It's just the arm that was vaccinated is just painful all the time. A neuromuscular weakness, just weak, a weak hand grip where he he was certainly wouldn't be able to open a jar or anything like that. But what was odd with him is he had these neurological symptoms of weakness and pain and also actually paresthesias, which is tingling in his fingers. But about six weeks after his vaccination, that arm just suddenly swelled up from about the elbow downwards. So swelling is not usually a neurological sign. That's usually a sign of either lymphatic problem or a vascular problem. So in all of these people, their side effects are sort of evolving. In other words, there's some process has been started that I cannot identify. These people need to have MRIs and a whole lot of expensive investigations to try and sort out what is going on, but each one is distinctly different. I have other patients who say they can't sleep since having their vaccine two months ago, or their feet are sore. It's just a, a huge variety of things, but except for the fellow with the swollen arm, they're all neurological problems from the Moderna vaccine. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Back-to-back pages A3 and A4 of March 27th, London Free Press would make a perfect Nazi-like propaganda poster, pushing the experimental therapies being fraudulently called vaccines. On page 4 is a full-page ad paid for by the Government of Canada with a headline that reads, How do I know COVID-19 vaccines are safe? And in two sentences, the reply. Only vaccines that are safe, effective, and of the highest quality are authorized by Health Canada. Canada is recognized around the world for its high standards and rigorous vaccine review process, end quote. (laughs) That's it. Or in other words, because we say so. And occupying the bottom half of the page is a cartoon depiction of four multicultural people wearing masks. What else? And on page three of the same sheet is a half-page ad occupying the entire right half of the page, paid for by the government of Ontario, with a headline that reads, A harmless coffee break can do more harm than you think. Wear a mask, wash your hands, and physically distance to stop the spread of COVID-19. Well, and we already know that every word of this is wrong. But then there's a left half of page A3, another bizarre propaganda argument made by Jane Sims, accompanied by the same pleasant picture of her that I earlier described, and this time bearing the headline, now get ready for this, Contemplate Heather Locklear, Model of COVID-19 Spread. My first reaction to the headline led me to believe that actress Heather Locklear had somehow done the politically incorrect thing and held some kind of event where hundreds of unmasked attendees dared to party and have a good time. But see if you can follow this logic. Quote, Given how our COVID-19 case numbers jumped this week, there she goes again, I think we need a celebrity endorsement to get us back on track to ending this year-long crisis. I have the perfect person in mind. American TV and tabloid fixture Heather Locklear, star of Dynasty and Melrose Place. I'll explain why, but first, a reminder, we're still in a pandemic. Friday was the worst with 54 new cases, making 257 new cases in a week. There were 290 active cases on Friday compared to 175 a week before, end quote. And so goes the basket cases count until about the last quarter of her diatribe. She explains how Heather Locklear connects to the spread of COVID-19. And I quote again. Back in the late 1970s and 80s, there was a TV ad for a shampoo that could substitute today as a pandemic public service announcement. You might not remember Fabergé Organics Shampoo, 
but I'll bet if you're my vintage, you would remember the commercial with Locklear and her fabulous feathered hair. Long before she married a couple of rock stars, Locklear was on the tube holding a shampoo bottle and extolling the virtues of wheat germ oil and honey. It was so good, I told two friends about it, and they told two friends, and so on and so on. As she said it, the screen divided to show two faces, then four, then eight, then sixteen. It was catchy. So let's pretend, for educational purposes, Locklear is COVID-19 positive and won't wear a mask or physically distance. She meets two friends to talk about shampoo and transmits the virus to them. They meet two friends and infect them, and so on. If she had a variant, Locklear could easily be passing it on to more people, even without talking about shampoo. You get the idea. She should avoid this. Maybe she could talk to her friends on a teleconference call, or she could text them, or she could meet them outside while wearing a mask and keeping two meters apart. And by the way, Locklear was born in 1961. If she lived in Ontario, she would be eligible for a dose of Oxford AstraZeneca, coming soon to a pharmacy near you. Maybe she'd take her dose on camera. Maybe she'd tell a couple of friends, and so on, end quote. Wow. <laughs> Talk about a non sequitur. Simply unconscionable. But what this imagery reveals is a complete misunderstanding of the nature of viruses and how they spread. Over and over again, I see the spread of a virus being depicted as if it were some kind of billiard ball, bouncing around from one person to the next. And given that the incredibly vast majority of these cases are asymptomatic, the spread of these viruses should be something celebrated, not feared. And that's exactly what they were telling us a year ago, all about the development of, you know, herd immunity, by which time any fear of flattening the healthcare curve would no longer have been a concern. Remember all that? What makes the billiard ball imagery all the more silly is that it apparently only takes place when illegal numbers of people assemble, but when obeying the number of people rule, everything is okay. <laughs> and of course, if a gathering is for some cause on the left, well, COVID's not a concern at all. The problem is not the people who congregate without masks and distancing, but the people who do so to rally for freedom or to challenge the official COVID narratives. They're the bad guys. To add insult to injury, the bottom third of Jane Sims' side of the page contains a report, unattributed to anyone, so I'm assuming it's her own article, with the headline reading, Saturday marks somber anniversary of London area's first COVID death. Wow, talk about morbid and misdirected. Quote, London Mayor Ed Holder is urging the community to turn on a light on their balconies or porches on Saturday as a way to honor all local residents who have died due to COVID-19, end quote. I mean, this is worshipping the COVID scam. And whatever happened to, you know, turn off your lights for Earth Day? <laughs> the same people saying this stuff? Quote, Saturday marks the first anniversary of the first COVID-19 death in the London area. 74-year-old Martin Postma, a Strathroy resident. Posma died of complications caused by the virus on March 27, 2020, about two weeks after the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic, end quote. Then the article goes on to lament via crocodile tears how sad it is that when people die, their loved ones and family cannot be there because of COVID restrictions. This is so disgusting, and I'm referring to both the circumstances and to those who support this fraud. Our governments have become out-and-out out terrorists, and their agents are reporters and commentators like Jane Sims. But this is just a small sliver of the constant barrage of propaganda that Canadians are being subject 
to each and every day. And it's the same in other jurisdictions and in other countries as well. And finally, a last word from Dr. Hoff on this side of our bumper. While on the return side of the bumper, we're going to hear about the right thing and why so many people are so confused about what's going on with the whole COVID situation and why they're in such fear. You work amongst a lot of Indigenous people as well, right? I do. And, and it grieved me greatly that the first people that the government chose to sort of experiment on was the elderly and the First Nations people. Now, I know there were healthcare providers involved you know, in that as well. And I was offered this vaccine and I said, no, thank you. But it grieved me that the patients that I have, ongoing neurological side effects are all First Nations people because they were the people who got it first and the rest are just getting it now. You know, a vaccine normally has part of a microorganism in it, either a virus or a bacteria in some altered form that doesn't make you sick, but that will induce an antibody reaction. So this does not have any part of any disease organism in it. This is a gene that is put into your body to induce um, antibodies to the coronavirus spike protein. And of course, the concern with that is that there are 20 types of tissues in the human body that have spike proteins. So in all of these women that are now having miscarriages who have had one of these COVID vaccines, and there's hundreds of them around the world caused by this. And so the only mechanism that seems to be apparent of why this vaccine would cause a miscarriage is that these women now have antibodies to their placenta. In other words, they are now vaccinated against all future pregnancies because the placenta has a spike protein and they now have antibodies to a spike protein. So the repercussions of this are huge and it's an experiment and we have no idea what is going to become of this. I fully expect in my patients the neurological effects are autoimmune, which is why they're evolving and changing. But I think this has a very high chance of causing permanent infertility in women of childbearing age by literally giving them a vaccine against having a placenta that as soon as the placenta is formed, they will miscarry every time. Oh, my word. You know, unfortunately, the colleges hold a lot of power over doctors. And so most doctors are too afraid to speak up. It just it was just so wrong you, to suppress truth at the expense of people's lives. And with so many of these people, I found out about their injuries by accident. You know, they would come in for something else. And, and I would say, you know, how are you getting on? And, and, and how did it go with the COVID shot? And, and then they would tell me whatever it is that they're suffering. And, and with some of them, it's just, it's just tingling down one side of their body or something else. You know, it's some minor thing that's not going to disable them. But clearly, there's some neurological process that has started. And I don't know what it is. To restore life to a semblance of normality will depend upon our resilience and ability to do the right thing. People are good. People are doing the right thing. You need to do the right thing. And that gives us a chance now to do the right thing. Most people are doing the right thing. If businesses aren't doing the right thing, 
I'm trying to do the right thing. Our whole concept is to get everybody to do the right thing. Because Edmontonians are by and large doing the right thing. And we'll celebrate this year if we do the right thing. Businesses in particular who aren't doing the right thing. So let's do the right thing. Mr. Speaker, you know, Ontarians did the right thing. Businesses not doing the right thing. Look for and persuade people to do the right thing. That's you. That's you doing the right things and that's saving lives. We want to support those institutions doing the right thing. But we're mostly pleading with people uh, to do the right thing. So as always, uh, we are asking people to do the right thing. But we can't support those that aren't doing the right thing. We are concerned about trouble and trying to be responsible. One side of news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish the same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 In my line of work, you gotta keep repeating things over and over and over again for the truth to sink in, to kind of catapult the propaganda. So I urge the premiers and the mayors to please do the right thing. How dare they suggest that they're doing the right thing when it's really the left thing that they're doing, propaganda and censorship. And now perhaps it's easier to understand why so many people have been so completely misled about the big picture behind the COVID campaign. If you're buried and drowning in that kind of garbage, what else can you actually see? And one last item before we go. This is from News Wars. The vaccine is killing me. Facebook fact checks woman's post about COVID vaccine's adverse reaction by Aidan Salazar of Infowars on Monday, April 5th. Quote, Facebook fact checked a woman's account of serious adverse reactions following the COVID vaccine posted one week before she died. The tech giant had the audacity to add a fact check advisory to 25-year-old Desiree Penrod's personal post in which she documented experiencing fatigue, headaches, and earaches after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. The vaccine is killing me today, the preschool teacher wrote in her last post on March 10th. My arm hurts, beyond exhausted, headaches, stomach cramps, and earaches. Multiple people told me that I look pale today. Yesterday I was fine, but today it's taking its toll on me. In an unsettling move, Facebook added a fact-check label to Penrod's post citing the Chinese Communist-backed World Health Organization. COVID-19 vaccines go through many tests for safety and effectiveness before they're approved, the label states. 
This is just one example of the absurd lengths Big Tech will go to to defend Big Pharma's experimental vaccine even after the facts have been laid out, end quote. Well, even in the midst of all the COVID propaganda and censorship, laying out the facts as we hear them and see them is what we will always continue to do because it's just right. So be sure to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. I am against this bargain, this prisoners. You didn't have to come here, they are well guarded. I trust no one. You have your records. Is this party necessary or is this a matter of honor? Oh, honor, don't be silly. A few photographs of prisoners enjoying themselves, and then you can do whatever you want with them. Or would you prefer to discuss propaganda with her Goebbels? No, no, it's an excellent idea. <laughs>